We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14, sort of as a springboard here into the message this morning. And I've entitled the message, The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." So this was the message of the angels, the angelic messengers that God had sent to the shepherds when his son was born into this world 2,000 years ago, born to the Virgin Mary before she had consummated her marriage with Joseph. She was with child, betrothed to Joseph, and yet she was pregnant from God, God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived and she brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus Christ. And the angels said at the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The peace of God, uh, you could go all the way back to the book of Genesis and see the dove coming with the olive branch in its beak. And remember that the name Noah means peace or rest or comfort. And when God's judgment was poured out upon the world, the ancient world with the flood, God showed grace to Noah. Noah found favor in God's eyes. And Noah was the man who brought peace to the world. The judgment of God came and yet God showed mercy to man and gave man a second chance. And that olive, the uh, olive branch that was in the beak of the dove, we now know as a symbol of peace. You see the dove flying with the olive branch in its mouth, in its little beak, and that is a sign of peace toward men. And so Jesus, coming into this world, came to bring peace on earth, to bring goodwill toward man. 
Because Jesus has come, we now have the opportunity to have peace with God. And we're no longer at war with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer seeking to do just our will. We want to do God's will. We want His will to be done in our lives. And so Jesus is the one who came. He is our peace. Peace between God and man. We are no longer under God's wrath or His judgment for our sins because... This one is our peace. He has come to bring peace to the world. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read this. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And this was another prophecy about the Messiah coming into the world to bring peace. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So this is speaking about the Messiah. This was written over 700 years before Christ, as you know, if you've been with us through the study through Isaiah here. Uh, and, and this one who was going to come, this Messiah, he was going to be born as a child. He wasn't going to come into the world as a grown man. He was going to be a child born. Uh, he was going to be a male child. He was going to be a son that was given, given by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The government will be upon his shoulder. We know that as he uh, carried his cross beam up that hill and he would be nailed to that cross, in essence, he was dying for the sins of the world and ushering in his government. His government is his kingdom that rules over the hearts of his people. And then one day he will return and he will set up his glorious kingdom here over the whole earth. His name will be called Wonderful counselor mighty god so it's identifying him with god that he is one with god as he is god's only begotten son he's equal with god jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father jesus said i and my father are one jesus said before abraham was i am uh, indicating his eternity that he has no beginning and no end he's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the book of revelation tells us he is indeed god in the flesh He's the everlasting Father. You've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is the Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Now we know that he came 2,000 years ago and there's still really not peace on the earth. We look around the earth today and it's very troubled and there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of division and there's a lot of war taking place. Uh, one day he will bring peace to the earth when he comes back and he makes everything right. And then God's will will be done on the earth as his will is now being done in heaven. But for the last 2000 years, anyone who has surrendered their life to Christ, you and me and everyone for the last 2000 years, we experience that peace of God in our lives, in our hearts now. And for 2,000 years, that's been the case. Anyone that throws themselves upon Christ and trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will then have peace with God. He is the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And his government and his peace will have no end. 
Indeed, Jesus is the one who came and told us to turn the other cheek. He told us to go the extra mile. He also taught us to give the shirt off our back. He said to forgive those 70 times, seven times. If someone sins against you and asks for forgiveness, you're to forgive them not just seven times, Jesus said, but 70 times seven. He told us that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He tells us that we are to be the peacemakers here on the earth. And he tells us that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Indeed, those who are in Christ, who have Christ in them, we now know the peace from God and the peace of God because we have peace with God through God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And once we have peace with God on the vertical, then we can have peace with man on the horizontal. Now, again, we don't know exactly when Jesus Christ was born. Um, I've done entire studies on this, and really people don't know because they didn't keep calendars 2,000 years ago like they do today. The church has been celebrating December 25th as the birthday of Christ for probably, oh, I don't know, maybe since uh, 350 AD, 400 AD, when Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire. It was a good thing, at least for the people who were being fed to the lions and the people that were being impaled and burned at the stake and so forth. The Christians were being persecuted terribly under the Romans in the first and second centuries AD. And so when Constantine, the emperor, whose mom was reported to be converted to Christianity, decided that he would be a Christian and that he would conquer the world with the symbol of the cross. He believed God gave him a vision of the cross and said, go and conquer in this name or in this symbol. And so he Christianized the whole Roman Empire. But what happened was, is the Romans had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. And so what Constantine did is he just changed the uh, the, the name of the holidays that they were already celebrating. So, for example, on December 25th, it's reported that they uh, celebrated the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year is November 20, uh, December 21st, December 22nd. It's the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere, the shortest uh, day and the darkest day on the earth. And so many pagan nations would celebrate once you got over the darkest day, then it starts to get light again. And so December 25th was the Roman celebration of Saturnalia. Uh, and it was a pagan holiday. But Constantine changed that date and said, now we're going to celebrate, instead of uh, celebrating the birth of Saturnalia with you know, the, the mythologies and so forth of the Roman deities, we're going to change December 25th to Christmas, to the birthday of Christ. So it's very unlikely that Jesus was actually born on uh, December 25th. Um, Easter was, was, of course, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Constantine took a holiday that they celebrated, the goddess of fertility, which was Ishtar. Uh, and he said, you know, that's why you have uh, Easter eggs, because eggs is a symbol of fertility. Bunnies, because bunnies multiply like rabbits. It's all about fertility. Uh, the goddess of fertility uh, was Ishtar. And so uh, they decided, well, instead of celebrating Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, we're going to celebrate Easter, the resurrection. Uh, of Jesus Christ. So we know that there are pagan roots to a lot of the holidays that we celebrate. We've just kind of inherited a lot of these dates. Uh, uh, and it's good that we celebrate the birthday of Christ, although we really do not know when he was born. What's interesting about the winter solstice is it is the darkest day of the year. And Jesus being the light of the world, it is appropriate that after the darkest time of the year, the light of the world is born to man. We also know that 
uh, there's something interesting happening in the stars right now. There's some really interesting stuff going on with astronomy right now, if you follow astronomy. But they say that Jupiter and Saturn are going to align uh, for the first time in over 400 years on the winter solstice, on the night of December 21st. So if you look up and you see the brightest star in the sky, much brighter than any of the other stars, it's actually two stars that are combining, they're aligning. Uh, and some um, experts say that this was the star that the wise men saw who came from the east. And it's certainly possible uh, that uh, that happened. And then they started their journey out to uh, Jerusalem from Babylon, likely Persia or Babylon, uh, to come and to worship him who was born uh, as king of the Jews. So uh, it is interesting, Jupiter and Saturn have not aligned like this on the winter solstice for over 400 years. It won't happen again in our lifetime, so make sure you go up uh, and look at it when uh, you go out and look at the stars uh, this December 21st. It is interesting that uh, the Bible does tell us that there's going to be signs in the heavens before Christ comes back the second time, that there's going to be signs in the heavens. And so we would expect to see things like this if Christ was going to be coming back. And I believe he's coming back very, very soon for his church. When Jesus was born into the world, he came and he changed our calendar. Uh, it's interesting that the powers that be are already looking at changing our calendar again. The last time our calendar was changed for the Western world, and really the whole world has adopted the Western calendar, uh, of A.D. Uh, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, the year that Christ was born, and B.C., which was before Christ, uh, for 2,000 years. That's how the world has started new years and so forth and ended years. Um, but the powers that be are thinking of changing our calendars. Pay attention to this. Listen to the news. To B.C. for before Corona and A.C. for after Corona. Yes, they are. In Europe, this is exactly what the uh, World Economic Forum is talking about because they're saying it's a new uh, world and things have changed dramatically and it will never be the same and so forth. But uh, we have our calendars uh, based on the birth of Christ and the birthday of Christ. Now, our greatest need, of course, is peace with God. That's the greatest need of man because God is our maker and until we come to Christ, we are at war with God. We are at enmity with God, the scriptures say. And so we read here, for example, in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 6. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful are the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. My people shall know my name. What is God's name? Yeshua, Jesus Christ. The salvation of Jehovah has come, and so we know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My people shall know my name. They shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. And then how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. The gospel is good news. 
who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. This is all speaking about Jesus prophetically. He came to bring good tidings. He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward man. And he came to proclaim salvation. Now in Isaiah chapter 53, we read about the suffering servant, the prophecies of Christ coming to suffer and die for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, this was written over 700 years before Christ. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls copied by the Essenes in Qumran, dated back to the second century BC, and this is exactly what they wrote in the Dead Sea Scrolls 200 years before Christ. The prophecy was originally written 700 years before Christ. It can be only speaking about one man in history, and that is Jesus Christ. He bore our griefs. He bore our sorrows. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted on the cross. He was wounded, not for his own transgressions. He had no sin. Uh, even Pilate said, I find uh, no crime in him. I find no, no sin in him. Uh, and, and the uh, centurion who was there said, we have crucified, we've killed an innocent man. Jesus said, which of you convicts me of any sin? There was nothing. He never did anything to deserve it. He was a perfect, sinless lamb of God, and he was a substitute for you and for I. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You see, he suffered, he died for you and for me. We should have been the ones who were crucified. We should be the ones who were punished because we are sinners. He's not, but he took our sins. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It was a transfer. It was a substitution. He died in our place. And because he died in our place, he gives us his resurrected life, his eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we have peace with God because of him. We have peace with our father because Jesus is our peace. He's our atonement. He's our substitute. We read in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 10, speaking of the one to come. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth to make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall never or shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Verse 12, for you shall go out with joy and you shall be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their 
hands. And we know this is speaking of the Word of God which comes, but we also know that Jesus is the Word of God. He's the Word, the Logos, that became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so when the incarnate Word of God comes into the world, then He brings this. You shall go out with joy. You shall be led with peace. Uh, And so He brings this. He brings joy and peace to the world every Christmas. It's on the Christmas cards. Uh, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, joy to the world. And so Jesus is our peace. In Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 1, we read this. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. So as a result of faith in Jesus Christ, we become righteous. Not our own righteousness, certainly not. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. But it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to us, has been imputed to us. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ. So therefore, it's no longer my righteousness. I'm not trying to live up to a certain standard or meet the law or keep the law. Uh, I'm in Christ, and Christ kept the law. He was righteous, and he lives in me. Therefore, I am righteous through his righteousness. And so the righteous perishes, and no one takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil, and he shall enter into peace. This is speaking about when the believer dies. There's no fear for the Christian. There's no fear of death because of Jesus Christ the righteous one, the one who came to bring peace between God and man. And so when we die, we just fall asleep and then we enter into peace. And we're done with this wretched, hard, difficult, painful, sinful, broken, fallen world. And so death is not the end, certainly. And for the Christian, death is really just the beginning. We read back in Isaiah chapter 26. There's so much in Isaiah Uh, about Jesus, even though it was written 700 years before he was born. So many prophecies. We read this in Isaiah chapter 26 about the peace of God for his people. Verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. And so for those who are made righteous by the righteousness of Christ, he will keep him or her in perfect peace. He's the Prince of Peace. We're dealing with unpeaceful times. We're dealing with uncertain days that we're living in. We're dealing with fear and anxiety. A lot of people are stressed out and worried about the future. And yet, for those of us who are in Christ that have surrendered our lives to Christ, it's no longer I who live, Paul said, but Christ who lives his life through me. I'm crucified with Christ, so now it's a substitutionary life. He has substituted himself for myself, and he wants to live his life through me. And as a result of that, I have peace 
with God. And I will be kept in perfect peace if I keep my mind focused on God. If I put my mind or my eyes on anything else, I'm not going to have peace. I'm not going to have peace listening to the news. I'm not going to have peace hoping that some politician uh, gets elected and saves us all. Uh, That'd be great if we have godly leaders. But in the end, my peace is not contingent or conditioned upon who's in the White House or who's in the State House or who's the one that uh, is in charge of the government. My peace is found through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens. I have the peace of the Lord, you see. And it's a supernatural thing. It's a peace that passes understanding. And it is really a a, a wonderful thing that we have his peace, that we don't have to fear death, uh, and that he is our salvation. We read in verse 12 of Isaiah 26, Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all works in us. He is our peace. Now turn with me to the book of John in the New Testament, to John chapter 14 and verse 27. Jesus says this as he was in the upper room. He was talking to his disciples before he was about to go to the cross of Calvary and to die for the sins of the world on the cross. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. What a beautiful promise from Jesus. No matter what happens in our lives, we have his peace. He says, I give you my peace. I leave you my peace. It's not a peace like the world, a peace that is uh, conditional or a joy in the world, which is conditional happiness uh, or conditional satisfaction in the world. It could be taken away from you. But no, this is an eternal peace. This is an everlasting peace. He says, I give you my peace and it won't be taken away from you. Not like the world. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Trust in God. He is our peace. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus warned us and made us aware. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or difficulty or troubles, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And because Christ is in you and you are in Christ, then you also have overcome the world through Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, uh, you're going to have problems in this world. This is a difficult place. It's a tough place. Uh, Jesus had plenty of troubles in this world. He was God in the flesh. The apostles, the disciples, they had troubles in this world. Most of them, nearly all of them, were killed as martyrs for their faith. And so he's saying, this isn't heaven yet. It's not going to be everything is going to be like it is in heaven here on the earth, not till Christ comes back. But he says, even though that's the case, even though you're going to have troubles in this world, he says, I am your peace. You are in me, I am in you. You have peace because I am the Prince of Peace. After he was raised from the dead and he conquered sin and hell and death on the cross, when he was raised on the third day, we read in chapter 20 of John and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, which is why we 
worship on Sundays instead of Saturdays. Jesus was raised on Sunday. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so peace with God, because we receive the Holy Spirit. We are born again. And a man, a woman, must be born again, Jesus taught us. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. This is what he's speaking about. We have peace with God because we're believing on the resurrected Christ. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit into us, and we are born again. And we are changed for all eternity. God comes into our hearts and takes up residence within us to live his life through us. In Matthew and chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus said this in verse 9. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so because God has made peace with us, we are called to be those who make peace with others. And of course, the greatest peace that you could share is the peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, that's the good news of the gospel which we preach. We read in Romans in chapter 5, Paul the Apostle tells us this in verse 1 about having peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope and the glory of God. You see, but prior to coming to Christ, we were at enmity with God. We were warring with God. We wanted to do our own thing. We didn't want God giving us his rules. We didn't want to have to obey his commandments. We didn't want to have to put God first and love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We didn't want to love our neighbor as we loved ourselves. Uh, we, were, we were living for ourselves. We wanted to be God. We wanted everybody to worship us. We wanted to be number one instead of letting God be number one. But when we surrender our lives by faith in Jesus Christ, we now are justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we then have access into his grace, into his mercy, that he's not going to judge us, even though we're all sinners. We know we're sinners and we know we deserve judgment. But Jesus Christ took our judgment upon the cross of Calvary and he died and shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. That includes your sins and mine. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 6, we read this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity or at war against God, for it is not subjected to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so Paul is telling us the difference between the unsaved man, the carnally minded man who's living for the carnal things, the temporal things of this world, which is death, 
compared to the spiritually minded man or woman, which is life and peace. The Holy Spirit is going to have you concerned with others and their salvation and their well-being and not just me, myself, and I. Always trying to be number one, always trying to get ahead, always trying to keep up with the Joneses and have all the nicest things so that you could show off and brag about how successful you are. Instead, we just want to give it all away. We want to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. We want to see people come to know Jesus because uh, it's such good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God became a man. He took our sins upon himself. He died as a substitute on the cross of Calvary, and he was raised again on the third day, and he offers all of us salvation by faith in him. We read in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, Paul the Apostle says this, he says, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You see, that's the change that takes place in us. We're no longer doing things just to impress other people. We're no longer living to please man or somehow by keeping a set of rules or laws or dietary restrictions and then judging people that are not doing the same things that we are doing, worshiping in exactly the same way that we are worshiping. He's saying it's more important that we uh, bring the kingdom of God into our world. Uh, it's not about things like eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. And so we can only experience righteousness when we know the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And as a result of the righteousness imputed to us through Jesus Christ, then we have peace with God, peace with man, and then we have joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is an unspeakable joy. This is a joy that cannot be taken away no matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances you face. Your joy is not based on your circumstances. The temporal condition of the things in your life at the time, any given time, can change. It is a joy that is eternal. It's a joy that's planted within the hearts of God's people. His joy, his peace, and his love. It's a supernatural sort of a thing. The wisest man who ever lived was King Solomon, although he became sort of a fool toward the end of his life. He didn't even follow his own writings. Uh, but he wrote this in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, Solomon, in verse 11. He said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. So King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who uh, went after other gods and, and kind of became a carnal man toward the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes kind of as a carnally minded man, talking about all of the regrets that he had not living for the Lord. And he gives us this profound truth that God has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity within the hearts of man. So in essence, there's a God-shaped void within every single human being. 
And only God can fill that void. Man was created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, or body, mind, and spirit. The spirit of man died and departed when man sinned in the Garden of Eden. He became separated from God. The spirit of God left, and separation is death. And so man has been really missing that uh, fulfillment of being one with God, being connected to God as it was intended from the beginning. And so we are those who are always feeling empty and we're always trying to fill ourselves with stuff or with money or with things or with promotions or with sex or with drugs or with alcohol or whatever it is that the world is seeking after, power, position, uh, and they, education. They think that if I just get this, then I'm going to be satisfied. If I just have this, then I'm going to be fulfilled. And then they accomplish it and they're still lacking. There's still a hole in their heart. There's a void uh, in their heart. Money especially is such a dangerous thing. People chase after money. They spend their whole lives and it's never enough. John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in the world at the time before he died, he was asked, how much more money do you need, John? He was a billionaire many times over, you know, in the early 1900s. He was the founder of Standard Oil. And, uh, and they would ask him these questions, how you made your money and, you know, what kind of uh, uh, business do you run? What's your model and so forth? And they would ask him, uh, John, how much more money do you need? And he would smile and say, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar, you see. He was the richest man in the world. And he, it wasn't enough. He still wanted more. And that is the condition of every human heart. Eternity is within the heart of man. There is a God-shaped void that only God can fill. St. Augustine, the great uh, 4th century A.D. Christian philosopher, said this. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Speaking about every man's condition before he comes to Christ, every woman's condition before she comes to Christ. God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless, unsettled, until it finds its rest in thee. True peace only comes through Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this about the void within our hearts. C.S. Lewis, the great British philosopher and writer, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me read that to you again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. In other words, for heaven. We we're made to live with God forever and ever. And it's only sin that has separated us from that relationship with God. Sin separates man from God. Jesus Christ came to heal. He came to reconcile man to God. And then we find that God satisfies us. You know, I, I think what C.S. Lewis is saying is that sometimes we, we have joy, but the joys in this world are fleeting. Sometimes we see beauty. You see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset or, or the stars at night. 
uh, the canopy of the heavens. And yet it's passing and, and, and then it changes and you want to you hold on to those moments of beauty. You want to hold on to those moments of joy and of truth and of hope. And they're fleeting in this world because things are so fallen and broken in this world. But every time that you see beauty, every time that you experience joy, know that that's a little bit of heaven in your life. God is showing you heaven. He's showing you what really you were made for truth and beauty and love and joy and peace uh, and justice all of these things God gives us because we were made in his image and and we find fulfillment of all of these uh, desires in him he's our joy he's the beautiful one he is love made flesh he came in the flesh and he is the love of God given to us Jesus he's our hope he's our peace he's the way the truth and the life and he is the one that made peace with God. God's justice was fulfilled and his wrath was poured out upon Jesus so that we might be saved. Now, before we wrap up here, I have one more verse. Um, I want to just share just very briefly here a little bit about my testimony. Some of you know my testimony. Some of you don't know my testimony. Everyone in Tehachapi knows my testimony. Uh, but I don't typically like to talk about myself, actually. I just, I just would rather just talk about Jesus here and, and, and talk about the Word of God when I'm in the pulpit. But you need to understand that I'm a man just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. Um, I have not always been a Christian. As a matter of fact, I would have considered myself the antithesis uh, of a Christian when I was in college and when I was younger. Uh, I did uh, have faith when I was raised. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I went to Catholic school. Uh, I was spanked by the nuns. I was hit with paddles on the bottom by the nuns. And uh, my hands were hit with rulers. And that stuff used to happen in the Catholic schools. Uh, I went to St. Patrick's School in Royal Grande for eight years. And kindergarten before that in Orange County at a Catholic kindergarten. Um, and yet, when I got into uh, high school, I started playing football and running track. And I came from a broken home. And so I was kind of finding my identity and being someone that was popular, someone that was cool. I was the uh, um, vice president of student body, ASB vice president. We'd get up in front of the, the whole school and do skits and funny things. Me and my best friend, he was the president. I was the vice president. And so, you know, I was the MVP of my football team as a wide receiver, scored the winning touchdowns and so forth. I got a football scholarship uh, to play football in college at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, and what happened was I was still a Catholic. I was still a faithful Catholic, very devoted Catholic, raised in an Irish Catholic family. Um, but one night I was coming home from a party and I uh, was drinking and driving when I was 18 years old, barely 18. I had just turned 18 uh, in June and I crashed my car uh, July 31st or August 1st. It was after midnight, so it would have been August 1st of 1990. I crashed my car, drinking and driving, rolled my car, didn't have a seatbelt on, and was thrown out of my car on the 101 freeway, uh, probably doing 100 miles an hour, and I broke my neck. I came down on my head, I cracked my skull open, I broke my neck, um, which is why you see me oftentimes stretching my neck out, because I have uh, fusion in my neck. I have metal and hardware and bone graft in, in my neck, and, um, and it was a terrible accident. I should have died. The Catholic priest came in and gave me last rites. I was paralyzed uh, for about 24 hours because I did break my neck. And then I started to get feeling back first in my legs 
And then after a while, uh, feelings started to come back into my arms, but it was like fire because of the neurological damage to my spinal cord. Um, I was a mess, needless to say. Uh, they put bone graft in my hip. They put screws in my head and pulled me uh, with traction to pull my spine back in place because my spine was dislocated. Uh, so they drill screws into your head, you lay on your stomach, and then they flip you in the striker machine to pull your uh, neck back in alignment. They operated with the screws in my head uh, when the neurosurgeon did the operation, took bone graft from my hip bone and put screws, uh, Halifax stainless steel clasps and clamps into my neck. And uh, he did a good job on my neck because I should have been dead or I should have been paralyzed. And, uh, and, and here I am today. But I turned my back on God after this. I became an atheist after this because I was so mad that I lost my football scholarship and I couldn't play football at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, it was my dream to play college football. It was my dream to be a fifth string wide receiver or special teams guy in professional football because my grandfather was personal friends with the owner of the Los Angeles Rams. My grandfather was the mayor of Anaheim. He was also the board of supervisors chairman for Orange County for 20 years. And so I, my grandfather was good friends with John Robinson, who was the head coach of uh, the Rams at this time. So I had a shot to play pro ball, even though it would have been probably on the sidelines. And so that was my dream. That was my ambition. And I, uh, I became so angry at God when I broke my neck. And I wasn't grateful that he saved my life. I wasn't grateful that I wasn't a quadriplegic. I was selfishly unhappy that I couldn't play football again. And so I went to college and I became an atheist in college. And I was the kind of guy that you wouldn't have wanted me around your uh, Christian college students because I would argue with people uh, against the faith. I would argue with people against uh, believing in Jesus Christ really shamefully. Uh, but that's kind of how I was indoctrinated by the Marxist professors in college. And, uh, and so I went on this sort of self-destructive binge I became a stockbroker when I was 21 years old. Uh, kind of always had to work and, and it came from a, a dysfunctional family, a broken family. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom uh, had mental illness issues and things like this. And so I was kind of always on my own, always working through college, through high school I worked. Uh, and I was always trying to, to make money. And so I dropped out of college at 21. When I passed my series seven license, I became a stockbroker. Uncle was a bond broker in Newport Beach and he got me a job, but I had to get my license. I dropped out of college and I started working as a stockbroker at age 21. I started making big money. I mean, this is back in 1991, 1992. I was making $50,000 a year as a 21-year-old kid. So what do you think I did with all that money? Uh, I partied. I went to Vegas. I partied almost every night. I lived uh, in a frat house on Fraternity Row. Uh, the Psi Alpha Epsilon frat house uh, by Cal State Fullerton with my uncle, who was older than me. And so um, I, I, I thought I had it all. You know, I had pretty girlfriends, and I, you know, was always somebody who, uh, you know, knew where the parties were in Hollywood or in Newport Beach, or I had friends with yachts down there at Balboa Island and all the rest. Uh, I got introduced to cocaine, started doing drugs. was never really a drug addict. It was more just a partying drug for me. But I was on this downward spiral, kind of going down the drain. And by the time I was 23 years old, I'd been an atheist maybe five years. And I was so unhappy. I was so miserable. I had it all. At least I thought I had it all for what I thought was meaningful and, and, and you know, what life would be 
worth living for, which was money and success and power and these things. And I was just completely uh, unhappy. As a matter of fact, I was even to some degree suicidal. I, as an atheist, I thought, well, why not just end it all? Because what's the point? There's no God, there's no devil, there's no heaven, there's no hell, if atheism is correct. And thank God, um, I, I, I had a lot of Christians that God would send my way that would always witness to, my, witness to me. My brother was saved, my sister was saved, they were praying for me. Uh, and I was, I was a stubborn atheist. That's why I'm a stubborn Christian now. Uh, you know, I just go all in for whatever it is that I'm doing. And I went all in for atheism. And, uh, and yet, you know, the Lord, by his mercy, he was so patient with me. I'm like a cat with nine lives. I could tell you some harrowing stories of places and times, places I shouldn't have been, people I shouldn't have been with, uh, casinos and drugs and mafia and so forth. And uh, I've had guns pulled on me. I've had machetes pulled on me, knives pulled on me. Uh, and God was so merciful to me during those years of wandering. Uh, while I was really blaming God for something that he wasn't responsible for. It was my own stupidity that I was drinking and driving that night and that I was driving 100 miles an hour on the freeway in my 71 Dodge Demon, that was the name of my car, without wearing my seatbelt, and that I rolled my car. It wasn't God's fault that I broke my neck. And so uh, over a period of about a year from the age of 23 to right when I turned 23, I was really starting to seek God, starting with seeking God through the Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion. I even looked uh, at the uh, uh, Islam religion, Muslim religion at that time, uh, and Judaism. And eventually, I found my way coming right back around to Christianity, but a different form of Christianity. It wasn't the liturgy and the religion that I was raised in, in the Roman Catholic Church. I was also an altar boy as a kid. I was a very devout Catholic kid. I wanted to be a priest when I was a kid and so forth. And so God was so merciful. He was so patient with me. Uh, and and I, I, I could go on and on. I don't want to go on and on about my story. But the Lord saved me. I had to finally just throw up my hands. I had to walk away from my stockbroker's license because that lifestyle was just destroying me. Uh, and I kind of had to start all over from scratch. Uh, but when God saved me and I knew that I was saved... And I went to this big Baptist church in Lancaster and the pastor gave an altar call and I had made a deal with God. If I go to church and they give an altar call, I'm going to go forward. I don't care how embarrassing it is or how many people are there, whatever. Well, there was 2,500 people there in that service. I don't know that I'd ever really been into a Protestant church before in my life. And uh, they gave the altar call and I was the only one who came forward that day and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And that was when I was just turned 24 years old. So that was almost 25 years ago now. I'm 48. And so uh, I never looked back from that point on, guys. I mean, it's like if I lived for the devil and served the devil for all those years, I made a promise to God, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life, God, now that I know that you're real. Now I know who you are. And so I, I understand that void that's within us, that nothing else can satisfy. I understand the restlessness of our hearts until we find our rest in God. I understand that there's nothing else in the world that can satisfy but Jesus, that God has placed eternity within our hearts that only He can fill that void. And nothing else that you have that's, that's physical of this temporal world, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's your children, whether it's your job, whatever it is, any of those things can be taken away at a moment's notice in this world. This world is fleeting. It's passing away. 
but the one who does the will of the Lord endures forever. And so God comes and he satisfies us fully. He comes and he fills our hearts with himself. And then we know the peace of God. And nothing can shake our peace, no matter what the devil throws at me. Nothing can shake my peace because I know the Prince of Peace and I'm surrendered to him now. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, and this is where we end this morning, in verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the cry of Jesus to all mankind. Come to me, all you who labor, all you who are burdened, all you who are weighed down with troubles, with the sins of the flesh, with the cares of this world, all the things that come between us and God. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, put my yoke on you. Yoke yourself up with Jesus. Learn from Jesus. He says, I'm humble, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. In this world, Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation. That's a given. But he says, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And I know so many of you here today have experienced what I am talking about. Most of you, I would say, are born again. Perhaps there's someone here who has never trusted Christ Personally, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you've just been raised in the church. Maybe you've just been hanging out at church. But I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm not going to make a big show of this or production, but I want to give anybody a chance. I will be happy to pray with you if you want to surrender your life to Christ or you want to come back to Jesus. Perhaps you've you used to follow the Lord and then you fell away. You backslidden. You're like the prodigal son and you need to come back to Jesus today. Guys, we just don't know how much time we have left. I believe the rapture can happen at any moment. And there's nothing else that needs to happen prophetically before Jesus Christ comes back for his church. So it's not time to be playing church. It's not time to just be saying, we'll all get right later. Today is the day of salvation. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward after I pray. And I will pray with you that you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and know that you have peace with God. Please bow your heads with me. Jesus, we we thank you so much for coming into our world. We thank you for coming into this dark and broken and sinful world, Lord. You stepped down from your throne in heaven and you wrapped yourself in humanity, born of the virgin in the manger. We thank you, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life, a sinless life, because you are God and God cannot sin. We thank you that you taught us the truth and you told us that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. We thank you for the free gift of salvation, Lord, that it's not of ourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the free gift of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. You cry out 
to the whole world, Jesus, and you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down with sin, and I will give you rest for your souls. And so, Father, if there's anyone here today, and perhaps they're like me, like I was when I was 23, 24 years old, just trying to find my way, just trying to find out what's real and what is true, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to at least one person here today, Lord, who would want to accept your free gift of salvation and surrender their life to Christ. Bless your people, Father. Bless us this Christmas season, Father. We ask, God, that we would be light in this very dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.